Hey, my name is Matt, and I'm just honored and excited to uh, welcome you wherever you've gathered uh, together to be with us at Rockbridge as we're one church in five locations. So Hickson and Calhoun, Dalton, Ringgold, Chatsworth, welcome. Glad you're here. Maybe you're watching online. Somebody gave you a CD. However you're tuning in, thank you for uh, sharing this time with us, and we're praying for you and uh, praying that God reveals himself to you in a, in a special way. Before we get into uh, seasons part number three, we want to take an opportunity just to pray for one another. These are some of the prayer requests that uh, you've submitted to us via those next step cards uh, in front of you or uh, coming through our website or phone call or, or, or whatever the case may be. So uh, we stand in the gap for one another. So I'll just lead a prayer. If, if, this, if one of these requests may represent where you are or someone you know or somebody in your small group, but uh, just stand in the gap for them. We'll stand in the gap for you as we're one church praying to one God for one another. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you, God, that uh, right now, God, we are in your presence uh, by the blood of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, just standing in the gap for people, uh, their marriages that may be in trouble. God, people who need healing, who need breakthroughs medically, breakthroughs with addiction, depression, anxiety, understanding their purpose, and God, where they fit into your scheme. God, there's uh, requests up here for people that don't know you, that are in our lives as rock bridgers, and people we're praying, God would uh, understand who Christ is and come to place their faith in Him and, and realize the, the beautiful life, the abundant life that is found in Christ alone. So God, we just place these requests before you. Thank you that you hear us and know that you send grace and mercy so that we, your will may be done. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. So we are, uh, we've been navigating for the past couple of weeks uh, through a message series called Seasons. And I, I'm going to kind of catch you up. If you've missed a couple of those, you're always welcome to watch these on our website. Uh, and, but this will kind of help you know where we're going because it is kind of progressive. All right. So, oh, I forgot one thing before I get into that. We have a big youth event coming up next weekend called One Day. Uh, it's on a Saturday. Uh, I've been able to speak at it a couple times, get the opportunity to speak at it again next week. Wonderful, amazing experience for our, our 6th through 12th graders. Life in Christ and, and helping them uh, grow in, in their faith. And it's like, man, I had some amazing moments in youth group when I was growing up. It's a large part of my faith journey, my faith story. And I wish I had something like this because I've seen uh, the impact that it can have on 6th uh, on through 12th graders. So parents, be parents. Be spiritual leaders and encourage and get your 6th through 12th grader to one day. All right, now to Seasons Part 3. Here's the quick review. We started in Part 1, and we asked this question. We said, what season am I in? Or if you're a we, you're a church we, or a small group we, or a married we, or a family we, or your work we, but what season are we in? And, and we said, you know what? And it's not, not calendar season or clock season. It's the season that you're experiencing. It's the season maybe where you're at in terms of your attitude or your joy level or your hope or your optimism. Are you reaping? Are you sowing? Are you waiting? Is it dry spiritually? Is it abundant? Uh, is it exciting? Is it nervous? And so we're all in these seasons. And, and we said that God ordains the seasons and has a purpose for every season. And then last week, we took it a step further, and we turned it from, hey, what's going on seasonally to what's going on internally? And we said, hey, this, your season that you're in is telling you something about you, and it might be something that you don't want to talk about or you don't want to address. And so we looked at that, and we looked at where we draw strength and where we got our, uh, our identity and our, what was our source and where we were planted uh, in the seasons that we're in. So this week, we, we turn the page and we go a little bit deeper, 
Uh, and we're going to need God's help with us today because there's a lot of good news and a lot of bad news today. And I don't know about you if you like the bad news or the good news first, um, but I'm going to go with the bad news first, okay? So the bad news, <clears throat> which is going to end up being good news, but you've got to bear with me. The bad news is this. In every season, there's a test. In every season, even seasons of abundance, even seasons of, hey, work is great, the economy is great, relationships are great, the kids are great, the health is great, uh, God is great, God is good. There's always a test. Always a test. And, and, and the quicker we can recognize this, uh, the quicker we can leverage it for the reason God allows it, permits it, and or causes it. Because I think there's a misnomer, especially in American Christianity or Western Christianity, because our way of life is so amazing when it comes to material things that we just sort of think, hey, good God, good economy, good health, good everything, and we'll just move on in, in, in materialism and chase the American dream. And when that gets a little rocky, then we start getting rocky with God. Uh, but in every season, there's a test. And that kind of sounds contra to what we want it to sound, but that's sort of the bad news. It'll end up being good news. Here's, the, here's a little bit of the good news. It's not a pop quiz, uh, and, and God tells you what's going to be on the test. And, he, I, and I'm going to give you a question that's on the test, and it's really the only question that the test in your season is going to be. It's, there's one question, one question only, and, and we're going to get there. And we've got a guy that's given to us in the Bible that walks through at least two, three seasons, and this is the question he's asked every single time. And his name is Job. His name is Job. So if you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn it on, open it up, and uh, go back to the middle of your Bible. You might see Psalms. Just go one, chapter, one book back, and there you are in Job. And we're going to hang out in just the first two chapters. And we're going to get to know this guy and, and learn from him, because God put this book of the Bible in the Bible for a reason, so that thousands of years later, we're going to understand, in every season there's a test, what the test question is and what the answer needs to be. Job chapter 1, we start reading. There was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. If you ever wonder how do I, how do I know what really the, the main point of these Bible stories are, look for words that get repeated. And the word that you're going to hear a lot today is integrity and the fear of the Lord. Now, we've talked about the fear of the Lord in this series, but let me make sure we all understand it. It, it does not mean I'm afraid of snakes or I'm afraid of spiders or I'm afraid of heights. It means I, I so value, cherish, love, admire, stand in awe of God that I don't want to offend Him. I don't want to stray from Him. I want to keep my eyes on Him. So that's what the fear of the Lord means. It's, it's a healthy fear. It's a healthy awe. It, it's the, maybe when you walked through a scary season as a little kid or your kids walk with you and they grab your hand or they want you to hold them, that's kind of they just want to be with you. Now, the word integrity is important, and it means basically that Job's entire life is oriented around God, that he is pure in his love, devotion, loyalty, a worship to, of God. It's sort of like you know the earth rotates around the sun. They used to believe the, that the uh, sun rotated around the earth, and it's called the Copernican shift. Well, we all kind of go through a Copernican shift because at some point in our lives, usually around the age of two, we think everything revolves around us. And part of becoming a Christ follower and growing is you realize a Copernican shift occurs in your soul, and you realize, man, it's not all about me. In fact, it's not all about me at all. It's really about God. 
And so Job is not in the center. Job realizes it is all about God, and so that's where he lives. Perfect integrity, or complete integrity, it's called here, who fears God. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate, so estate means he's loaded. I mean, he's on MTV Cribs and all that kind of stuff, right? His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest among all the people of the East, and that would mean most influential, most powerful, and the wealthiest. His sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. Now, we can do a little pop quiz and see how you're doing with this series, but Job's in the summer and the fall. It's rest and play, harvest, reap and, reap and harvest, reap and harvest. Just abundance with the economy. His wealth is growing. His prosperity is growing. He's ha- and, and he and his family are living the good life. They've got the T-shirt on, and all is good. All right, so his sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. We would say having parties, maybe. And they would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And whenever a round of banqueting was over... Job would send for his children and purify them spiritually, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. And listen to Job's thinking. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God. In other words, it's going to come up again. Have cursed God. God, we don't fear you. We're back in the center. We'd rather have the party than have you. We'd have have pleasure and prosperity than you in their hearts. And this was Job's regular practice. So Job gets something. Job has the life most of us would love to have, most Americans for sure would love to have. And Job is so afraid that one of his kids in the midst of this summer abundant season would start to replace the fun and the prosperity, would start to replace God with that fun and with that prosperity. And so he constantly brings his family back to God and he constantly says, maybe we've sinned, maybe we've offended God, let's make sure we repent. And that goes to what I told you earlier. In every season, there's a test. You sometimes don't see it in the summer. You sometimes don't see it in the fall when you're harvesting, harvesting, harvesting. But in every season, there's a test. In fact, if we looked at the four seasons kind of as we've been talking about them, winter is dry, spring is hopeful, summer is happy, playful, and fall is reaping the benefits, the blessings relationally or spiritually or uh, work-wise in your career. So, so just kind of think about that and think through these four seasons. Here's kind of the, 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 how, some questions or some temptations that emerge. In the winter, you're tempted to say, when, God? When, God, is it going to end? When are you going to keep your promise? And, and sometimes we're like, God, do you even care? And sometimes we'll go, God, I don't even think you exist. That's a temptation. That's a test, kind of like test that we have in the winter. Spring gets hopeful, and what we're tempted to do is we're tempted to hope apart from God. That our hope is now in the relationship that's blossoming. Our hope is in the new job we just got. Our hope shifts from getting into college to now that we're in college. Our hope goes to the career and the money we hope to make after college. In the summer, it's fun, peaceful, right? And we're tempted to get happy and peaceful apart from God. I'm happy because the bank account is full. I'm happy because, you know, I've got more friends today than I used to have. I'm peaceful because, man, everything's going great around me and I've got enough money to control or manipulate everything. And then in the fall, well, I don't really have time for God. I'm so busy. And then oftentimes in the fall, because you're reaping, right? Well, I did all this or I deserve all this. 
So those are just some ways for, to give you a handlebar or two, give you a way of understanding. In every season, there is a test. But there's still one question that gets asked in those seasons. So let's get to that as we go to Job chapter 1, verse 6. One day, the sons of God, probably better known or better understood as angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. This is where it gets tricky because Satan shows up in heaven. He's been thrown out of heaven. This is past uh, that, that event in uh, Ezekiel. And Satan came with them. What's going on? Got to stay with me. The Lord asked Satan, he says, well, where have you come from? He says, from roaming through the earth. And Satan answered him and walking around on it. Now, let me use scripture to interpret scripture. So what does this mean? First Peter 5 tells us exactly what this means. It says, be sober-minded, be alert. That your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. So when God says, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's looking for someone he can devour. Peter interprets Job. And then Peter says, resist him, firm in the faith, stand firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. So every season there's a test and no one is immune from it. So then God says to Satan... God initiates this conversation or suggestion. He says, well, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity. He's perfectly purified, devoted to God, and who fears God, doesn't want to offend, doesn't want to stray, doesn't want to leave the presence of God, and he turns away from evil. And it is amazing the pleasure and, and the sense of being a proud father of how God talks about Job. Do you realize God can take pleasure in human beings? Do you realize God wants to be a proud Abba Father for every single one of us? And this conversation about Job occurs in heaven. And, and why is this? Because it starts to speak to our purpose. It starts to speak to why God put us here on this planet. Let me just show you this scripturally where it says, Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The glory of God is his essence, his awe, you know, just the stuff about God that makes us stand in awe of him. We're all going to stand in awe of something. You stand in awe of the mirror and how your body looks. You stand in awe of your bank account and how your bank account looks. You stand in awe of your Facebook account and how many likes you have. Every single one of you stand in awe of something. Football, basketball, sex, opposite sex. We're made to stand in awe of God. Because Habakkuk says this, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. So filling the earth with the Lord's glory. So then God creates man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. And he created them male and female. And he blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Represent me. Be a mirror that, that reflects my image. Be like the moon that reflects the sunlight. Be like a magnifying glass or a telescope that demonstrates the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And then in the New Testament, it comes across this way to, to the believers of the New Testament, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. So God looks at Job and he says, everything Job does in the summer, in the prosperity, after his kids have a party, Everything Job does is for my glory. Satan, I love this guy. I'm pleased with this guy, Job. Have you considered him? And then Satan has an answer. And he says to the Lord, Well, does Job fear God for nothing? 
Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. So, God, the only reason Job fears you and is oriented around you is because he has possessions and because you've blessed the work, God. I mean, he's got all this money, he's got this influence, he's got this power. So why would he ever not want to say yes to you or worship you or obey you? Why would he ever not want to do those things? And this is where we got to push, okay? Let me talk to you. Let me just kind of put on my pastor hat. I have a fear. I have a fear that we don't have enough ballast in our belly to really understand why we're here. You know, a lot of us grew up, go to confirmation, get the check, get baptized, you're good to go, you're going to go to heaven. That is woefully inadequate for when the test comes. This is, not, this is not talking about, hey, are you saved or not? Not yet. It implies it and we'll get there. This is just like you're on earth and life is happening and what are you oriented around? And if, if we need a theology better than, hey, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. We need ballast in our belly for the seasons, for the tests that come our way. And this is the accusation. And this becomes the question that comes out in every season when there's the test. It is the same question that's asked in every season. And here's what Job is saying to God. He's saying, God, he doesn't worship you, fear you, because you're God and because you're worthy and because you're glorious. He worships and fears you simply because you're his sugar daddy. So here's the question. You get it asked. I get it asked in every season. Is God enough? Is God glorious enough, God valuable enough, God worthy enough? Is God in and of himself good enough, okay enough? Could you be happy, joyful, hopeful just with God? Or is it God, give me a date, and then we're good. Man, God's good. I got a date. Is it God, give me kids, and God, oh, we're pregnant. Yes, God's good. Why is he good? Because I'm pregnant. Satan says, no, 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 God, take all that away. Then see what happens with Job. So it's a difference here between believing God or believing in God and valuing God. Satan very much believes in a God. He just doesn't think God's valuable. He doesn't think God's worshipful. He doesn't think God's glorious. So, God, yeah, Job believes in you, but he believes in you because you give him things. Don't let anything bad ever happen to him. Sometimes we use this language, receiving. Have you received the Lord as your Savior? That's the language we use. So let's press on that. Let's press on that. Well, is receiving God like getting a gift you need, but you don't really want? Remember when your parents would, like, give you underwear for Christmas? And you're like, well, I need it, but I wanted the new truck, or I wanted, you know, I wanted the new PS4 game or whatever, right? Is that what God's like? Hey, I know I need salvation. I need you to, you know, ticket to heaven. I don't really want it. I want to go do my deal, right? Is that what receiving means? Is receiving like receiving help that you need, but you really don't want the one who's giving it to you? 
Is receiving Christ like you receive a package from the UPS or FedEx guy? You don't really care about him. You don't care who he is. You don't even, you don't even want to get to know him. You just want the present. Well, that's using God, not receiving God. And that's Satan's accusation. God, Job's just using you. You're a FedEx delivery man, God. You bring him possessions. You protect his family. Nothing bad has ever happened to him. God, you're not enough. It's you plus the package. It's you plus the help. It's you plus your gifts. You take away the package. You take away your help. You take away your gifts, God. Then see what Job does. But stretch out your hand, God, and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. And we're not going to like God's answer. Very well, the Lord told Satan. Everything he owns is in your power. However, did not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Now, there's a couple things to remember, so let me call time out. Push pause for a second and understand something, okay? Very clearly, this passage indicates Satan is completely under God's control. Satan is completely under God's control. And then what we're going to begin to see is this second point to remember that God's permissions are always purposeful. That God's permissions are always purposeful. That there's a reason God lets Satan live. There's a reason God lets Satan tempt and accuse. There's a reason that Satan exists. You begin to understand this when you begin to understand what it really means to have faith in God what it really means to receive Christ, what it really means to believe slash value slash worship slash fear the Lord. All those things we've been talking about. 1 Peter 1 alludes to this and gives us probably the best description theologically of what's actually going on experientially in Job's life. 1 Peter says this, You are being guarded through your faith, faith in Christ, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You're being kept, you're being guarded. But in this you rejoice that you're protected, your salvation is protected, your eternity is protected. Though for now, for a little while, you're in a season, you're in a season, for a little while, what happened? You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith... God is not interested in counterfeit faith. God is not interested in superficial faith. He's interested in genuine faith. More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. So faith gets tested to know if it's true or not. May be found to result in praise and ding, 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 ding. Why are we here? Glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. So faith always gets tested. Always to make sure what? It's genuine. It's real. It's not artificial, superficial, seasonal faith, but genuine faith. So look, in every season there's a test. Adam and Eve lived in a perfect world. There was still a test. Just don't do one thing. Jesus is the perfect son of God. There was a test. Three of them, as a matter of fact, as Satan, who's present at both of these tests, lead Jesus out into the wilderness. Job is tested. You and I, in 2019, we're tested. And it's the same question, is God enough? Go, go look at what was asked of Adam and Eve. Go look at what was asked of Jesus, and look what's asked of us. It's the same exact question. Is God and his word, God and his way, God and his worth, is he enough to obey completely, to follow wholeheartedly, to worship with abandonment? 
Is God enough? Now, here's the deal. Adam and Eve failed their test. Jesus passed. And we've all failed our test. Because what does it say in Romans 3.23? All have sinned. That's every single person here. And we fall short of the glory of God. What do we fall short of? What we were created to do. We fell short of the glory of God. And then Jesus comes along and says this. He says, I have glorified you, Father, on earth. Remember, fill the earth. You go fill the earth and subdue it. You reflect God's glory throughout the earth. But what did we do? We fell short of the glory of God and we lived for the glory of us. So Jesus came and did what we didn't do because he completed the work the Father gave him to do so that now what happens? Well, we, we can connect to Christ. Ephesians 1.12 says, We who were the first to set our hope, our confidence, our faith on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. So we lean into Christ. We put our hope, faith, trust, confidence in Christ. And now we begin to go and do what? Whether we eat or drink or whatever you do. 1 Corinthians 10.31, we do it all for the glory of God. We get back to glory, don't we? Get back to purpose, don't we? And having complete integrity centered around Christ living for his glory. So the test, God's interested in genuine faith, is he enough? Is it reveals genuineness, it exposes weakness, and it could show bankruptcy. Could show bankruptcy. See, every time Jesus presents following him, you know, we present it, hey, do you want to go to hell? No. All right, pray this prayer. Whew, good. Jesus never did that. Jesus would always say there's a cost to following him. He said, you kind of got to hate your mom and dad. Now, he meant that compared to me, your love for me is here compared to your love for your mom and dad. In fact, it's so different, it's almost like hate for your mom and dad. Now, that's exaggeration to make a point. He's like, I'm that worth it. I, I'm worth it that much. Jesus would say, hey, count the cost before you follow. Count the cost before you follow. Pick up your cross and follow me. What's he saying? Yeah, it's hard, but I'm worth it. Fear me. Awe of me. Perfect integrity around me. That's what he's saying. We offer this cheap, easy grace. It's not cheap and easy. God is holy, but wholly worthwhile. So there's a test. It's temporary in duration, but it's eternal in purpose. Because faith shows up in eternity, if it's genuine faith. So Job loses children, livestock, and his servants. Loses everything. And here's what he does. When they bring him the news, he gets bad news, and about three, three news reports come in the same day. He stood up, tore his robe, shaved his head, so he goes into mourning. Nothing wrong with that. Grieve and weep and mourn because it hurts. It hurts. But he fell to the ground and he worshipped. What? What? Why would you worship God who's involved in this? Because he's worth it. Because he's what? Enough. So it's not God plus my kids, God plus my livestock, God plus my servants that makes me happy. It's just God. And here's what he says. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Throughout all of this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Job 1, Satan 0. Go to Romans. Go to Romans. <clears throat> and in Romans 8, it talks about all the trials that Christians sometimes go through. And it ends with this, it sums up with this statement. In all these things, we are more than conquerors and gain an overwhelming victory through him, Jesus, who loved us so much that he died for us. More than conquerors, overwhelming victory. This means God runs up the score on Satan. This means God runs up the score on Satan, and Satan becomes an unwitting, unwilling source of bringing God glory. That God gets more glory through Job standing up in the middle of the winter and worshiping God and saying, Blessed be the name of the Lord, than Job, if Job hadn't gone through all this. And Job fulfills his purpose. That God gets more glory by letting Satan do his thing and knowing that he guards us, 1 Peter 1, 5, and that we'll endure and our weaknesses will be exposed, but our genuineness will come out. And we'll harvest that in eternity. And Satan is the loser and it's a rout. It's a blowout. Because God promises to be with us in the test rather than always delivering us from the test. So he's with us in the test, rather than always delivering us from the test. And the test is always, is God enough? Not God plus healing, not God plus money, is God enough? So then chapter 1 ends, and you're like, okay, glad that's over with. And then the same thing repeats in chapter 2. Job, Satan shows back up to God. And God points out Job and says, look, he's living for my glory. Look, complete, perfect integrity. Look, he's still got the fear of the Lord. And Satan says this, well, skin for skin, God. A man will give up anything he owns in exchange for his life, but stretch out his hand and strike his flesh, strike his bones, and he will surely curse you to his face. God, you touch his body and you touch his health, his worship will go away and he'll curse you. He'll curse you. And again, we're not going to like the answer. Very well, the Lord tells Satan, he's in your power, but just spare his life. Just spare his life. So, like I told you, uh, every season there's a test, and the question is the same. Is God enough? Is Jesus worthwhile enough, glorious enough, valuable enough? That it's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. That's the equation of the Christian life. That's the, that's the sanctification process. Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. So here's what God's done for us in the test. Number one, he's eliminated the enemy's element of surprise. He's told us the question. He's told us the question. The, the element of surprise is gone. Is God, is Christ enough? God's revealed the final outcome. We're more than conquerors. Satan is a loser. Satan is a defeated accuser. Satan is under the control of God. And then God has shown us what matters. God has shown us what's enough, what's most valuable is Christ. It's Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Listen to these words. 
about Jesus. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. That's what matters. He is who is enough. He's given us the answer. And so for us to win, we must worship Him. We must worship Him. So what we do when we sing these songs, these songs are about warfare. And the test we're all getting in every season, is Jesus enough? When we open the Word of God, it's not to say, hey, I read the Bible today. It's to get deeper into God. And realize He's enough. He's glorious. He's magnificent. God, thank you for the blessings. Thank you for the gifts. But they're yours. I just need you. Go read Paul, Philippians 3. I count everything as rubbish compared to the surpassing value of what? Knowing Christ, my Lord. Every season there's a test, and the question's the same. Is he enough? So Job is infected all over his body with painful boils. So painful he takes a a pot, breaks it, and starts scraping his skin. And his wife shows up. And she says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Still with God now, Job? Curse God. die. It's not worth it. It's not worth it, Job. And Job answers. He says, you speak as a foolish woman speaks. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So here's the final point that Job's wife gives us. People do not walk away from the test because it was too hard. They walk away because their faith was not genuine. They walk away because their faith was not genuine. So I have two questions. All of us in this room and all of us at every campus, we have faith. When do you want to find out? If it's genuine or not. All of us in this room. We're standing in awe of someone or something. Is it God? And then. The question I ask is this. What kind of faith do you have? I believe in God's faith. Or I treasure. Cherish. Value God's faith. Have you received Christ? Like you receive a package from the postman who then disappears. 
Have you received Christ like a gift you know you need, but you're not really sure you really want it? Have you received Christ as your treasure, as your king, as the one you're like, I want to get to know you more because everything about you tells me you're enough. You're enough. If the Holy Spirit is asking you that question, why not right now? Say yes. Jesus is enough. You walked in here in a season. I walked in here in a season. And the question of the season is, is he enough? So I'm going to pray for us at all our campuses. And then we're going to sing a song. It's a, it's, a, it's a song that is about our soul. Written by a guy who lost his family when a ship sank at sea. And he wrote, it is well with my soul. There is no way you can say that unless Jesus Christ is enough. Is he enough? The word of God, the spirit of God says yes. What does your heart say? And would you follow the spirit today? Let us all pray. So Holy Spirit, would you just search us right now? God, this is the, uh, the ultimate question right here. Is Christ enough to forgive us of our sins? Yes, says the Word of God. Is Christ enough to satisfy the appetites of our soul? Yes, says the Word of God. Is Christ enough to make us eternally joyful and eternally happy? Yes, says the Word of God. Is Christ enough, God, to give us an identity that cannot be taken away and a purpose that stands forever? Yes, says the Word of God. Holy Spirit, what does our heart say? Lead us to Christ as we declare it is well with our soul. Because Christ is enough. Have your way in us. God, please, don't let anyone leave with bankrupt faith. Please, God, bring new life. Bring out genuine faith that sees Christ as enough, as sufficient as superior, as all-saving, as all-satisfying, as all-supreme, so that Christ may have first place in everything, including us. In His name we pray. Amen.